0: You're listening to The Front Lines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. I'm going to assume that the vast majority of listeners are mountain bikers, so I believe that you can understand how devastating it would be to suddenly not be able to ride your bike. Mountain bikes are often referred to as being able to go anywhere, but the adaptive mountain bike can be for anyone. And what's even more amazing is that they allow anyone to go almost anywhere. An adaptive mountain bike can quite literally be a second chance, an opportunity for someone to ride again but imagine you have no place to ride that bike or the trail that your bike fits on has a gate or a rock at the entrance. I'm going to speak with Tara Yanis today about adaptive mountain bikes, also known as AMTBs. But before we chat, I'd suggest taking a look at what an AMTB is. Included in the show notes is a link to Tara's website that has a number of photos and videos. I've also included a link to a YouTube video so you can see the bike in action. So welcome to episode three. Of front lines. Cariana started racing professionally in 1996, but on September 1st, 2007, she suffered a spinal cord injury while racing in Beaver Creek, Colorado, and it left her in a wheelchair. Tara is now the owner and operator of Tara Giannis Industries, promoting and selling adaptive mountain bikes. Hi, Tara. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brent. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I, I left out a, a couple of chapters in that uh, in that intro, and, and perhaps you could fill in the gaps for us. What, what happened uh, after your accident?
1: Uh, well, um, I was in Colorado. I'm originally from California, so... I was in Colorado and I ended up being in the hospital there for a few months, um, just just trying to do some rehab, trying to get back to sort of the basics of of living and, and how I was going to sort of, you know, be able to take care of myself um, and how, how everything was worked. Um, so yeah, I went through that rehab and then I went back home. I continued with the rehab probably for another... I don't know, a year and a half. Um, and then it was sort of right around, I mean, the rehab was great and I loved every second of it. Um, but the difficult thing was sort of like you had to go, I mean, you had to be there every day for, for you to make some gains. Um, and so for me, I kind of Felt like I had to make a decision as to whether I wanted to continue doing that every day, all day, or if I wanted to just sort of continue with my life and, and get on with things. And, and so um, so that's kind of what I did. Um, and then ended up moving to Canada uh, with my partner. And then, yeah, I mean, I think it took me a few years, really, to probably, you know, to be honest, it probably took me about five years to really figure out what was next and you know that you know to when something happens so abruptly and you kind of see yourself going in this direction and then it just sort of makes a right hand turn you know um I, I think I was probably pretty jumbled for a while in figuring out where I fit in
0: how did you first start riding an adaptive mountain bike when did that come in
1: um I started riding I think it was around 2012 Um, I, I wanted to get back into riding probably a year after my injury, um, but there really wasn't any equipment. There wasn't that I could find anyway, like equipment that, that I really wanted to ride that was really high tech that had, you know, suspension and that could really handle the terrain. Um, and so I, and I didn't really want to ride a, a, a road hand cycle. It just, I just really wanted to be in the mountains. So. Um so it was like years later I was up in Canada and some friends of mine um found this bike online and it was made in Poland and uh it was called a Sporton and it was like I mean it was really aggressive like it was it you could tell it the the design behind it you know it was just super cool and so anyway they did a fundraiser and I got the bike and I was just really blown away cuz I hadn't seen anything like this bike before um, you know, there's, there are a handful of people that, that still ride the four wheelers, which are great. And they are loads of fun. Um, but they don't have cranks. And for me, I really just wanted to be independent. I wanted to be able to leave the house and be able to go on a ride and not have to rely on a, a chairlift or a, or a shuttle run. So anyway, um, yeah, they got this bike and it was just so cool to finally be able to be on a mountain again, you know, cause it had been like, you know, six, seven years or, or something since I'd, since I'd been on dirt and, and able to ride on stuff that I wanted to ride, not just like a fire road, but like a gnarly kind of trail. So that was, um, you know, I think mentally and, and emotionally was just like, wow, okay, now what can I do? you know, now where can we go with this?
0: I'm familiar with the, the four wheeled version. Some, some might've seen it in the Whistler bike park or, or, any type of, of bike park, but, um, can you describe your bike?
1: So that's kind of the difference with this bike is the sport on bike. Uh, it has three wheels. It has two in the front, one in the back, um, for the, for the downhill bike all slash all mountain bike. Um, yeah, it has cranks, internal hub, full suspension disc brakes. So it's, Um, yeah, it's, it's got all really, you know, high tech equipment on it. Um, and so that's, yeah. And and it also can come with electric assist, which is huge, um, for, for us, for anybody using their upper body. Um, I think especially, uh, it's a, it's a, it's super helpful to have.
0: Have you ever tipped the bike?
1: You know, I'm I'm not going to lie. Yeah. The, the bike, when you get to a, a certain point, it will tip. Same with the XCR. I think that goes for probably any adaptive mountain bike or, or, or bike for that matter. So, um, but one thing that I do always sort of try to reassure people, you know, like if they are looking at the bike and that's one of the first things that they say is, oh my gosh, you know, you're in the, in the Explorer bike, you're head first and you know, you're, you're so close to the ground. Doesn't that, you know, scare you? Um, and I always kind of think of it like, well, you know, if I were on an, ad- or if I was on an able bodied bike, I'd be like three feet, you know, off the ground. Whereas now I'm only about a foot off the ground. So, you know, if I do tip over, I don't have far to go. Um, so it's, I've, you know, I've tipped the bike, you know, numerous times and it's, uh, I don't know, it's never been that big of a deal. And I can tip it back over on my own. So I don't even need anybody there to help me.
0: How did the idea of selling these bikes come about?
1: I after I had the bike for probably a couple of years, maybe a year and a half. Um I was online and I was looking at the sport on website again and I realized that there was because there were so many people when I was out on the trails asking me about the bike. Um you know, friend people that had friends that were in chairs or people that were in chairs that were out on, you know, like a a hike and they saw me and you know, they were super interested. Um and I realized that there was no one in Canada selling these bikes and I thought this is crazy. Like you know, there's, we have some of the best mountain biking in the world and, you know, we should be able to, to, to get out there and, and to give people, you know, this experience. Um, and I'm partial to it obviously too, cause I just love mountain biking so much. But, um, so I just contacted sport on and I said, Hey, you guys don't have anyone up here. You know, what would you think of me selling these bikes? And so we just, yeah, worked it out and next thing you know, I'm, you know, selling the bikes. And then when was that? That had to have been twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably right at the end of twenty thirteen. So, and then when that sort of happened, you know, I I think this was my first venture as is is having my own business. You know, so I was learning a lot on the fly and continue to.
0: I noticed, uh, while I was on, uh, your website that, uh, the, your company's logo is a, is a Phoenix and, and is there some significance to that?
1: Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, it's funny that you say that. Um, just, I had a guy help me with a logo and I'd given him some ideas of what I was looking for. Um, and he came back like a couple of weeks later and he was, he was like, you know, I just, I, I really had to go with the Phoenix because this is, you know, the whole story about it and, um, you know, just like being regenerated and reborn and, you know, all of that. And I thought, you know what, he's really onto something and he did a great job. I thought on the logo and, um, I, his idea was way better than mine. So, um, and I just loved, I loved the symbolic nature of it. Mm. Um, yeah. So I thought it was, I thought it was great.
0: Very cool. And how much does a bike cost?
1: So we have two different models of the bike. One is a cross-country model. One is a downhill model. Um, the cross-country model starts around $6,500. And then the Explorer, which is the downhill model, starts around 10500 You know, so that's a lot of money. So, um, you know, and I know that there's a lot of people that get grants, and that's great. Um, but there's a lot more people out there that, that don't get grants and, and that are in need. And so... I started sort of realizing that, okay, well, you know, we want to sell these bikes and we really need a community. I know that there's people out there that want to ride these bikes and they just can't afford it. And if they're going to get a, a, some sort of sporting equipment, it's usually like a tennis or a basketball chair. So let's get people outside, you know. So I started trying to figure out how do we do that? You know, how do we, you know, grow that? So I started contacting um, different adaptive organizations uh, like Whistler Adaptive Sports um, and Chelsea uh, and then, you know, uh, trail builders and land managers because there'd be, you know, like I'd go out on rides and there'd be certain obstacles for me that I had to figure out. And if I was by myself, there's, you know, a good handful of those rides I wouldn't have even been able to do because I couldn't get through a gate or I couldn't, you know, cause they're, you know, I get it. They're made for, to keep ATVs out and, and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. So what, what types of, of trails are required for, for an AMTB?
1: Um, well the bikes are three, like 3.2 feet wide. So a little over three feet. Um, you know, so we just need something wide enough. So, you know, for me, like i I'm learning this as I, as I go also, you know, not only just being a rider, but talking to trail builders and talking to land managers and figuring out the, the best way to go about making an AMTB trail, you know, if you were making a specific trail. So, but right now, I mean, it's really the width, you know, so like for a beginner trail, you know, I think it should be, you know, like, four or four and a half feet wide, if not a little wider. You know, obviously, you know, there's gonna be a lot of fire road and double track that's available. Um, you know, and right now, to be honest with you, I mean there's a lot of trails on the North Shore that I can ride without, you know, any any changes. Um but, you know, like so basically the main thing is being wide enough and then, you know, steepness is always a factor. And what I find also um, is the off camber, how off camber and how angled, um, are some of the trails, uh, in different places. Hmm. Um, you know, there's so many different types of, 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 injuries, you know, like I'm a, what you would call, I guess, a, a T12 paraplegic. So I lose, uh, function right below my waist, you know, so I, I'm fortunate because I have, uh, I have most of my abs, Um, but there's a lot of people that, that don't have like any ab function at all. So, you know, it, it gets tricky when you get into off-camber sections because if you can't hold yourself up, you know, and there's a lot of different sorts of strapping that we, that different people use, um, depending on their level of injury, you know, while sitting in the bike. But, you know, that is something that I've sort of come across that I found it to be more difficult for others um, when you get to a real off-camber section. So, um, you know, I'd say, yeah, with, uh, how, how steep the off-camber is and also just the trailhead and, and can you get into the trailhead? Is there a gate? Is there a big boulder? Um, things like that. Or, you know, if, if you are able to get through the, the front gate, are there other gates past that, you know, and then what do you do?
0: So, what would you say to a trail association or a land manager who who wants to to try to either create uh, a specific use trail or or potentially look at their existing infrastructure? Like, what's the the best way to start? Is is it um, do a lot of these groups have an opportunity to just take in, existing infrastructure and and expand on it, or is it a case where the vast majority of communities will need to create a, a new purpose built trail?
1: You know, I think that there'll be opportunities for both. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do. I mean, the the first trail that I was able to to ride on the North Shore. Well, I shouldn't say that I was able to ride. I mean, there were other trails that I could ride, but this was there was an already existing trail um, on Frome called uh, Bobsled, and it was almost wide enough. And so, and it's a really perfect loop because you can ride the fire road up. Probably takes twenty minutes at a decent pace, and then you can do a lap. So that was really fun for me to be able to just do these laps and not have to, you know, hoof it for, you know, like an hour or something. Um, But so they, that's where an instance where they took a trail that was already there, already existing, and said, "Hey, let's get some funding," which they did through Lululemon, I believe, Um, and they put in, I think, like twenty thousand. And they went through and they widened the whole trail. They widened the bridges. That is another thing, or obviously having bridges wide enough. Mm. Um, You know, I've been on some bridges that I swear they were exactly 3.2 feet wide. So it was like, it was kind of cool because it was kind of like a skinny for me, you know, but it's, yeah. So for, I mean, for like for beginners (laughs) though, you know, like you really want something a bit wider, but, um, so yeah, they, they took that trail and they just widened it from top to bottom and they did a fantastic job. Um. But there are, you know, I'm sure that there will be purpose-built trails, um, you know, for for d- different instances. Uh, and I, you know, as I kind of go through this and the more that I sort of talk to, you know, the trail builders and land managers, you know, I really want to be more engrossed in that and, mm. um, and just feel like I have a real, like I've really wrapped my head around how we can all make, you know, things work. And, you know, I realized that. Um, you know, we, we can't just go out and, and ask. Oh, you know, we want all these new trails built. I don't. I don't think that's necessary. I think there's a lot of trails that um, that we can totally work with to to minimize cost. Hopefully.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So really, retrofitting is it seems like it's it's a huge option.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So you mentioned uh, width camber, uh, those are two, two limitations. Is there anything else that, uh, that causes issues for an AMTB?
1: Um, you know, I'd say in some cases, uh, how steep the trail is for Mm. sure. Um, our cross country bike, uh, is, is, is different in the design where we have one wheel in the front and two in the back. Mm. Um, and the front wheel is the driving wheel. So, you know, if you get, I, I would probably say on, on any, adaptive mountain bike that has that, that front wheel drive, at some point, it's going to get steep enough that you're going to start to spin out. So, um, you know, I do think also that the trails, it will differ which bike that you're on. Um, you know, the, the Explorer is so capable, it has so much clearance and it has full suspension where the XCR, the cross country bike is a hard tail. Um, you know, and it doesn't have that same give. So um, and and suspension setup, hmm. so it it will require a different type of trail that cannot take the same amount of off camber as even a, a, a downhill bike. Hmm. I I feel.
0: And and is clearance uh, a limitation for sure? Like, is it? Uh, are you are you you know rubbing up against the bottom of the bike, or is it something where it can roll over quite a bit?
1: Um, I have for sure, but it. I haven't bottomed out near the amount that I thought I would when I see, you know, like a tricky steeper section or, or, you know, big rocks coming up where I feel like I'm going to hit and then I don't. So it's kind of surprised me uh, Mm. in a lot of different ways. Um, The XCR, yeah, you would, you would rub more on that just because you just don't have the same, it's, it's a little lower and you don't have the same suspension
0: last week we were at a a land manager's meeting and, uh, and there was a a young boy there and, uh, and he shared a pretty incredible story, um, about, uh, uh, about getting one of your older bikes and and utilizing that. Uh, How did you, how did you meet him?
1: Uh, well, it was sort of online first. Uh, Tyler from pink bike had shot me a message. Um, and we kind of had played email tag for a little bit and then and through another organization, uh, cause I played wheelchair tennis also, they had asked me to go to GF strong to kind of do this little fun tennis thing. So I went out there and Lucas was there, uh, with, with his, uh, with his mom and dad. Um, so I got a chance to meet him and this kid has got like a thousand watt smile. Um, and he just melted me right there. So he like, You know, he's, he's pretty shy. He was, I think when I met him, he was seven. Um, and his, his mom and dad, uh, Mike and Alon were just, you know, they're, they're a mountain bike family. They're a cycling family. Their other son, Corey rides too. And, um, so now they wanted to be able to still do it together as a family and for Lucas to be able to, you know, continue, um, going out and playing with his friends and being able to, to be part of that community still. And, and just hang out with his friends basically. And so, you know, and they, so yeah, we met up and I, and I, and I told him, I said, you know, this is, I've never sold a bike to a kid. We don't actually make it a a kid's model right now. I really, really hope that we do in the future because I think it's a really under tapped sort of, you know, market that, that these kids really need Um, just to be able to, uh, be continue to be active um, and have the same amount of um, of options as everybody else does. So anyway, we met up and I went to like the foam shop and I got this super thick foam and I was trying to figure out, all right, how can we get this to fit for him? And we like duct taped, <laughs> tuck taped his legs in and, you know, the family was all for it. Like it was all totally above board there, but, and it, you know, he loved it. Like he got in it and he, took off and he rode for like an hour and a half and we couldn't even get him out. Like he just was smiling the whole time. So anyway, so then they kind of went out for another second loop. And I was talking to Mike, uh, his dad, and and he just sort of had made a, a comment that, you know, we looked online for a long time for something for Lucas, but we, we wanted something that looked cool too. You know, I mean, that's a big deal. You know, you want something that looks cool and Um, and that was kind of one of the things that really took me to this bike also was just the look of it. You know, it was just something like I hadn't seen online before. Um, so anyway, so they bought the bike, um, and like, I mean, he's in it every day from what I understand. And, you know, it's to be able to see, uh, young kids who are put into, you know, a, a predicament where. I mean, their lives are so drastically different and, you know, they're going to have to figure out so many things, um, you know, to be able to, to provide him with this bike that allows him to, to play with his friends and to be outside and, and physical and to stay healthy and engaged, um, and part of a community. I was just like, that's what it's all about. So I, I feel really fortunate to have met them Hmm. really
0: cool. Very cool. So this summer you took part in in an adaptive mountain bike camp uh, up in Whistler. Could you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Um, After sort of chasing down uh, Chelsea Walker at uh, Whistler Adaptive Sports, we actually held finally, it was probably a a little over a year from the first time that I talked to Chelsea to when we finally were able to organize this. But we were able to get uh, Whistler Adaptive Sports got a grant through the Black Home, Whistler Black Home Foundation for two bikes. And so we held the first adaptive mountain bike camp in Canada this last summer. And it was just unbelievable. Um, I think everything went so well. Uh, and the guys that that came to the camp were just, I think, blown away at the equipment and what they could ride and what they could now do. So much so that we actually ended up going up to this one lake. One of the guys, Brendan had been up there before his injury, but it wasn't until we rode up and it was a steep like climb. And without the electric assist, there's no way we would have gotten up there, but we did. And he was sitting there kind of like really in deep thought. And I went up and talked to him and he said, you know, I haven't been up here since my accident because I couldn't get here. So I don't know, like it's stuff, it's stuff like that, that, I don't know, I, I think just really hits home and and to be able to help people get to those places. So, um, so, so that was through Whistler Adaptive Sports and, you know, the adaptive organizations. If anybody out there knows of an adaptive organization that mainly does, you know, sit skiing, which a lot of them do. And a lot of them got started through sit skiing. But now, you know, I've talked to a lot of them and they do want to grow their summer sports. Um, so, you know, if, any, if anybody knows uh, an adaptive organization that's, that's interested in BC or, I mean, in Canada, period, my, my main focus right now is BC because that's where I'm at and I can, I can
0: get to people. So what's the best way for, for people to get a hold of you?
1: You can always check out my website, uh, teriyanisindustries.com. You can email me, info at industries, Ask away and, and we'll see what we can do.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Tara. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Brent. I really appreciate it.
0: Have a good one. So here's your opportunity to interact with the show. Please, if you've got questions, comments about the discussion we had today, send them over to me. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at BrentSkiBikeski, or you can send me an email, Brent at bikeski.ca. As of this week, we are now live on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So please help others find us by leaving a review and giving us a rating. Once again, huge thanks to Lee Rosevere for the song Tech Toys. Next week, we'll ask the question, do we need to change the name of our trails? Is it funny or just plain offensive? How far is too far? I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening, and happy trails.